So calling this meeting to order. Uh, we'll do the roll call starting with you, Carl. Carl Brown. Sharon DeGraw. Frank Wagner. Jordan Sellergren. Kevin Boyd. Margaret Beck. Kevin Larson. Cecile Kunzley. Great. And then up, oh, on to item C, public discussion of anything not on the agenda. I don't see any members of the public, so we'll move on to item D, certificate of appropriateness. The first one is uh, 1133 East Court Street. And um, the, the applicant has requested a deferral to the October meeting. If you want to honor that, which staff would suggest, then you would need to make a motion and vote to do that. Great. Anyone object to us deferring? Can someone make a motion? Carl, um, I would move that we defer consideration of the 1133 East Court Street Certificate of Appropriateness to the October meeting. Grinsley seconds. All in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? All right, we will defer that item. So on to the next one, uh, 508 South Summit Street. Okay, 508 South Summit Street is in the Summit Street uh, Historic District. This is the house. I, uh, since we do have some new members, I was going to talk about the house a little bit and actually talk about plans and drawings just a little bit as we go through them. I promise for the rest of you, it won't take an ex, uh, you know, it won't be long. So uh, 508 South Summit is a four square and we can see that mostly in the fact that the building itself is in the shape of a cube with a porch attached. It has a very regular pattern of windows, basically with two on each floor on each side. Uh, as is typical, there's a kind of an embellishment in the front where we have the door on one side and so then we have a larger window of some kind uh, on that front space. This, the fact that it is three double hung windows and we can tell that because of this dividing bar right here, that's unusual. I mean, at least in my experience, it's not as common as say a cottage window or a single double hung or something like that, or maybe a bay that bumps out. Um, this has a hipped roof, which means it's basically a little pyramid. It goes down at an angle on all four sides where a ga gable would just go down on two sides. This is called a bell cast roof because instead of being a straight slope, it kicks out a little bit at the bottom. And you can see that these areas, which are called dormers, are also bell cast. A dormer is really added to the roof of a house in order to get more light and um, maybe air circulation into that attic space. And it always is, in the historic example, almost all window on that front face. The purpose is the window more than anything else. This um, has a pretty much what we call a flat roof porch because there's not much slope. It um, at least at one point would have had built-in gutters, not anymore it looks like. This is uh, what we call a paneled balustrade because it's solid and it's not covered with siding. Uh, these are large columns. Some people might call them pillars. They're also paneled. And this is a pretty dramatic arch. Um, these details are, just rise, make this a little bit better than a four square that doesn't have this kind of stuff. So if we go to the other side, um, we can see that basically on the side we have the same kind of pattern with windows in the corner. And this window of course is to get light onto the staircase since you know it's obviously at a mid-level, um, maybe the stairs switch back, who knows what happens inside. Basically the floor plan inside is also split into four quadrants. And so it really made it an easy plan um, to exist in and live in and, and fairly large spaces. As you can see, there's a hipped roof on uh, three of these dormers. There's a little regular chimney. Um, On the back of this one, uh, it has a, a bump out, basically, two-story. This was always a part of this house. It's not an addition. Um, I'm assuming because of a map I'll show you that it was a sleeping porch with an open porch below. Um, the windows might have been changed because it would have probably had something more like a railing here. And I don't know, these look a little odd, but maybe they're right, I don't know. This part has likely changed because it was would have been much more common than it would have columns instead of whatever this 
thin framing is. Um, you can also tell by looking at this house that for the trim, it has mitered corners, and that just means that the siding just butts up and they miter that, so it makes it a nice point. The other option is to put a corner board on that, so you just butt the siding into the side of the corner board. Kind of depends on the house. This would take more skill to make, so it's a, a you know slightly nicer. Um, this part, as you can see, does have some a little bit of corner boards and stuff, so there could have really been some changes there, or it might have been just set up more like a screen porch. This is a uh, original garage, also a hipped roof because it's a pyramid in all ways. Um, these doors tilt up and in. They could have been originally that way. Um, some of the old doors also would swing out and then um, slide back into the space, kind of like you open them and then push them in. Um, kind of depends. There were multiple types. These are beautiful doors, by the way. Um, let's see. Oh, okay, here's the Sanborn map. So I use this a lot. There are um, many different times. There's an 1878 or something like that. And they started by showing just like downtown and then it spread out. The uh, most recent one is from 1933. This is the 1926 Sanborn map online. So it's just a black and white copy. And this is just a detail. And this shows the house, Summit Street 508. It's a cube. So there's that four square shape. This little white spot is an error in the scanning, so you can ignore it because it goes all the way through the sheet. But you can see that this says two story for what it is. It has this dashed line around here because that's the porch. The dash is something open. Uh, it's a one story and we can see here that there is a bump out and it is two stories and it is open at some point. Um, the X means that this is a shingle, wood shingle roof, same here, and not A for auto, D for dwelling. Um, and then this circle here means that this porch had a metal roof on it. So anyway, those are just a couple things uh, to, that we're looking at in this house. Um, so the applicant has submitted plans and we have a full set. This is the uh, site plan. And a plan is basically looking at a layout of, of anything. Uh, you can see this is the original one, existing plan. The house, the porch, the steps, the sidewalk, the little rear thing as it is with some steps. I guess I didn't notice them. The garage, the driveway goes around. It's interesting to me that the garage is here and the driveway is on this side instead of this side, especially since the house has a door that would go to a driveway on that side. I actually searched a little bit today to see if I could find when they moved the driveway and I could not see any evidence of it having been moved. So just a little odd. Um, so here we have the addition and it's showing basically, you know, where it sits. As I said in the staff report, this project had to get um, what a minor modification. It had to get approval for um, a smaller dimension in their open space requirement. They were going to have lots of square footage of open space but you're not supposed to have a, a, any dimension in your 500 square feet that is less than 20 feet and you can't count paving. And so this area can count, but not for what they needed for the open space requirement. They needed something behind the house. And as you can see, really 17 to 19 feet is the widest they can get. And so basically they got their approval to have a 17 or 19 foot dimension instead of a 20 foot dimension when they have a lot of extra open space. I also mentioned the fact that Summit Street has a uh, limit on how far back into the property the addition can ex extend. This plan doesn't show any of those dimensions. And so I had to just look it up on the Johnson County Property Information Viewer and measure. And it's actually measured from the street. At least that's consistently how we've been doing it. And it's that the um, building can't extend more than 125 feet into the property. Now, the house itself was um, at a dimension I mentioned in the st staff report, adding the, the porch, it was basically going to extend 126 feet into the property instead of 125. And staff felt that that was a small enough difference that it was still acceptable. 
Okay, so here we have some plans. I say partial plans because um, since the addition is on the back, the architect did not take the time to measure up and draw all of the house, which is totally okay. Um, we have the, uh, these are existing, so you can see the screen porch and uh, what is probably a sleeping porch originally upstairs. And then we have the new plans and they're each on separate sheets instead. So this is looking at the first floor. The front of the house is here. Again, the windows aren't shown. And this is the addition. A plan is a view looking down cut at exactly four feet. Any architectural plans that you find anywhere show that. If you're looking down on something like a roof, you'll see that. If there's a window that doesn't start until it's, I don't know, six feet off the ground, it does not show. If it's uh, covered by wall, it technically doesn't show. Now architects will do things like um, indicate them sometimes with dashed lines or if they're important that you know where they're located. So anyway, we're looking down. Here's the original back wall of the house where the existing addition is. They're going to open that up so that they can expand into this whole kitchen area. This is a, a solid uh, wall and it's solid because it shows you that it's a new wall that they're adding. I mean, obviously the exterior is a new wall too, but they've just chosen to do that here. Um, it could also be, um, sometimes they might do that kind of thing if it's gonna be a half wall or something, since you're looking down on it. They're doing something to show the difference between um, walls. But you see the family room, two doors that open out into what they want to have a new covered porch and you can see the windows are drawn in here as well. This shows the proposed second floor part of the addition. Again, you see some windows drawn in as well. And here, as I was talking about, since they were going to just do a one-story porch, you see the roof from the porch below and it's going to be a hip um, because it slopes in all of the available directions. Okay. So then when we look at, uh, this is the new exterior elevation. We call a, a drawing of the outside wall of the house an elevation. Um, some people refer to it as a facade, but it's really the elevation. And this is showing that they are adding an addition. It's going to be set in from the corners enough that the new addition can have the same distance of eave overhang and it terminates before we reach the end. And again, we do that just because it really helps to clarify the roof and make it easier for everybody to understand and frankly also easier to build. Um, they've added a hip roof on their new uh, open porch and a, you know, fairly regular window patterning. Of course, we have something in the middle here instead of just the outside edges like the rest of the house, but this is also on the back. There are a couple things. Um, as you note, they drew a straight slope here on the roof. And as we mentioned, the original roof has a bell cast like curve to it. So that's mentioned in the recommendation that the new addition would match the, the roof line and, and that slope of the, of the house. Um, also, you'll notice that they drew it with corner boards and the house doesn't have that, it has mitered corners. So the new addition would have that mitered corner as well. And that's also recommend, uh, put in the recommendation. Um, the plan here is to use a pair of French doors to reach this outside porch. Um, they've drawn some thin columns here. Staff has talked to them a little bit about, you know, what's that dimension of that column? And they think that they might want to try to achieve a dimension, maybe um, eight inches, um, so they can get some semblance of a panel similar to the, the front columns. It's obviously gonna be a much smaller, so it won't, won't really match, but that So it won't is, be a round column? No, it Good. would be a okay. square column. Mm -hmm. Um, they've shown a typical railing here. Remember there was a paneled balustrade on the front porch. Our guidelines are pretty clear that we don't have to match those special details on new porches that are put on the back of a house. We can simplify things and we frequently do that to help um, mark that it is actually a new porch instead of an old porch. Um, 
Yeah, so they've listed the materials. We're going to match the foundation. It'll actually be stucco coated. Um, they uh, were going to use either fiber cement or wood, but when they found out that it has uh, mitered corners, they uh, assume they'll probably end up using wood siding instead. Um, let's see. They were interested in using ASIC as a trim. This is something that so far we have not approved as a trim widely. It is uh, basically a, a PVC product. We have approved it um, in areas where we have uh, something strange like trim in contact with the ground. Um, there, I know that there was a project that was not originally approved by the commission, but we had to kind of fix the siding with it, and it had windowsills sitting on a paved parking lot. Yeah, it was odd. And we actually did ASIC for like those windowsill and the window trim because it was going to have water in contact with it. Cement board would wick it up. Wood just wasn't really good in that situation. We've also approved it on um, a rear addition in a conservation district, not a historic district. But that was also a situation where there was, it was kind of dark, known for dampness on the north side uh, and that kind of thing. They have requested the idea of uh, having ASIC as an option just in case. Staff is not recommending at this point to approve that. We talked to the architect earlier today and you know, basically if it came back where they felt that it was really optimal for certain spots or because of a price point, they might uh, come back and see if we could switch out, out in certain places. So it's not important to approve ASIC as an option tonight unless you want to, which you certainly can. Is there a particular reason why the upper story, the second story windows are so much shorter than the ground story when on the house, main house, the windows are the same right. size up and down. And, and I mentioned that in the staff report that that is a fact. I am only assuming it's because they are making that a master bedroom and we do occasionally hear from people that they want a higher sill in a bedroom. Um, that is something that staff feels it's not necessarily um, inappropriate, but if the commission does think that the sills need to be at the same height as the rest, the guidelines could support that for sure because you're basically matching um, the existing window. So that is something that, that you could put into the recommendation. Um, and on this side, we do have fewer windows. It is an addition that is the north wall um, and it is likely because of both their, um, uh, I think their I think they have maybe a bathroom downstairs. We can look at the plan again and a closet. Um, staff doesn't find that that is inappropriate either. Um, here's just a, a shot of the column showing a detail of that. Um, so let me make sure, here I'll show you the plan. So yeah, on the second floor, um, this spot doesn't have a window because of the closet. And on the first floor, oh, it's because the stove, the kitchen layout has the stove in that location. Just wanna make sure I didn't have anything else I wanted to have you discuss or approve. Oh. Uh, we did have the porch floor that we were talking about. Um, they have requested, um, let's go to that elevation because I think they list. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, they wanted to use Trex and um, staff does not recommend that in particular. There is an exception that can be applied because this is a rear porch to allow them to use treated deck boards as long as the space between them is an eighth inch or less. Typically on all covered porches, we require a tongue and groove floor. And of course, if it was a front porch, we would require it's a Douglas fir uh, tongue and groove floor. We, um, ASIC, this is, this is just a regular deck board by ASIC, but ASIC does make a tongue and groove floor. So it's narrower. It has a groove and the other side has a tongue to go in. 
it is very sharp along this edge and I can pass this around um, a former commissioner had used it on a, a porch in a conservation district and he just like eased this edge so that is an option too it at least has a tongue and groove floor but because this is also a house a contributing house in summit street it would be entirely appropriate uh, for the commission to determine that they just need to do a tongue and groove wood floor um, they could allow the exception um, to use the treated deck boards with a, a small gap as well or you could look at an ASIC uh, tongue and groove floor. And I believe that's it. So right now the recommended motion has um, repeating, of course, the bell cast roof and the mitered corners that I mentioned. And this does allow the flexibility to use the traditional porch floor or the treated deck boards or the composite. So if you want to change that or add anything else to the recommendations, you would be free to do so. Great. Uh, any clarifying questions for Jessica? This, again, is not a time for uh, discussion. Just anything you want to just double check on something she said. I imagine we'll get the public hearing uh, over quickly so that we can discuss, because <laughs> I know Nancy's here for the next item. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, anyone here for the, I assume, Nancy, you're not here to speak on this. Great. Okay. The public hearing, we've opened and closed. Um, uh, so, opportunity for us to uh, discuss. I'm really glad they're doing this because I, I know how the house was altered on the inside and they're restoring the traditional room division pretty much uh, and then adding on. I think that it would be nice to use tongue and groove whether it's this composite material or the wood, composite might be more practical um, but definitely that rather than um, untreated uh, treated uh, plain wood and the question I raised earlier about the the shorter windows I think that's kind of a problem um, did you I have five items one did you discuss with them about the soffits on that house because they that was a problem with that house about I don't know, six, eight years ago. Yeah, I did go back through. Um, board soffit up there. Yeah, I went back through and actually found the, the past approvals for that. And let me look and see what they had written here. We communicated about that. Yeah, they're saying painted wood panel to match the existing. And I guess that's something that, it, you know, if it needs to be beadboard specifically. It really should be BG for beadboard to match what's on the main house. If the commission years ago, they had new gutters and a roof put on this, and the golden gutters of North Liberty talked the homeowners into putting on aluminum soffits without them checking in to it. We somebody brought it up, and they had to have them taken off, and they they sold the house rather than deal with it. That's how upset they were about it. So it really is important that they do it that way. And then I guess going on down the house. I mean, deciding is the, the two inch, two and a quarter inch reveal or two and a half inch reveal mm -hmm. would. I mean, you'd almost have to do that with the mitered inside and outside corners. Otherwise, it wouldn't look right. Um, the uh, other thing would be on the window trim. Um, I, again, I agree with you. I don't think they should use AZAC. You can really use cedar deck boards, which are fully. They're five and a quarter inch wide. These would probably be four inch wide trim boards. You can rip them down and then you have that full inch thick cedar board. So when you put your siding on, it leaves about an eighth or not in a quarter, but a three sixteenth inch back from the trim so it looks right. Otherwise, and I think the AZEC might be thick enough, but you can accomplish that same thing with cedar boards. I mean, I've done that on every house I've ever done. Um, if anybody wants to look at it, that 533 garage has that. And then I guess the other question I would have is, if you look at the picture of that house, then you've got the four inch wide, inch thick trim boards. Are they also, they're probably gonna put the windows that will be put in will have nailing fins, the new windows. I'm, I'm pretty sure they would in order to get you know, what, how are they planning to, you, and it can be done, put on a window sill to imitate what the house has, as well as a 
drip cap with a bed mold around it to get that same look. I mean, just stuff that they should, and, and it's completely doable. I mean, it's not, I don't think anything's asking the builder or, you know, the homeowners, you know, I don't, I don't even think it's that expensive really. And if they want to make it look right, that's how it should be done. And last but not least, well, and the same too, the freeze board up on the top, that also should, could be the inch thick cedar deck boards. You get them at eight, 12 and 16 foot lengths, rip them down so they have a nice sharp edge. And then up on the soffit, which they have painted dark blue there, that's a bed mold, which they need to know. And then up above that is your vertical grain fur bead board. And then the only thing I'd point out is, you know, the porch floor should really be VG fur. I mean, it would, the, the fake floor, ASIC or whatever the, fake stuff you sent on trucks you sent around ASIC. i don't know this one is azic that uh, is azic okay i mean it's it just doesn't look right and it's i mean it's been known to fail the clips that you have to use to hold those things down in iowa has the most freeze thaw you know it's it we thaw more than minnesota and we freeze more than missouri and the fasteners on those things just move all over the place my two cents can we go back to the motion for a second, <clears throat> Jessica, just so I can. <clears throat> Whoops. So many slides. Oh, uh, this no. is the. Yep. Oh, I went the wrong way. See, even more <laughs> There. Okay. So I think we, I, we have to, I think. I'm trying, I was trying to track all your things, Frank. Yeah, you start at the top and go down, uh, I suppose. I've got windows from Cecile, soffit. Soffit material being vg for beadboard we can get we can address that and i think the second bullet here okay folks how folks feel about it okay stop so seals about the windows the soffits and then just the trim around the windows and other trim as needed um yep. being just inch thick wood so i can i mean i can suggest that I could communicate with them about clarifying that by matching the trim, which is a requirement, they actually really have to match the trim. Right. You know, because I, I think that encapsulates all of it. Right. And it's really agree? not hard to do. do. Yep. I mean, all of that, and especially that house, you know, it's from a builder standpoint, that's a really easy addition to, to make it look like the original house. I mean, there's nothing tricky about it. So for the soffit trim and all that, when they match the trim, we can just make. I would clarify the soffit being beadboard if uh, just because of the fact that their drawing said uh, a wood panel, and I don't know for sure. Okay, so we but we need to decide if the commission. Yeah, I think that if you have a condition about the siding in the roof, add one about the windows if you want to do that, and then probably wrap up everything in the materials so if you do or don't want to allow ASIC do or don't with the floor and um, clarify the soffits I think that could all be in right. one maybe but, just for clarification the problem with the way they describe the soffit as a panel yeah it'll be a quarter inch thick maybe three eighths inch thick four by eight sheet with beads sort of grooved in it problem with that is you nail it up and then there's going to be a splice every eight feet whereas when the, with the beadboard you stagger it so you there's never a, a seam and it's there when they use a panel you can see it mm -hmm. I mean it really and it sometimes then it starts to sag so okay well let's take each of these items does anyone have anything else they want to add to the discussion because I think I, sorry, I no. had one other question on um, the porch in the back for um, the, the spindles or ballast what we call those mm -hmm. um, versus panel and I'm just curious because it's a rear porch you're saying it doesn't have to be panels is that consistently applied in projects that come through yeah generally and I guess one of the reasons um, in this particular case would be the fact that if you look at the front porch it has a very low rail and in fact generally your rail is right. 24 inches or 
the height of your windowsill. And since the windowsill is lower here, it looks like they probably went with a 24 inch railing. And to meet code in the back, since it's off the grade, it requires a rail at uh, what, 36, 36 or 42, 36. And so that would be much taller and the, the panel element just wouldn't look quite right because it. it would be so much larger. Okay. And so that's one of the reasons why we would suggest maybe just a straight square spindles. But again, if the commission disagrees. We generally know. have more flexibility on the back. And it is written into the guidelines to allow that. Yep. Uh, that and that code thing makes sense. It would be a tall panel. Plus it's an there. addition. Okay, so can we go back to the motion? Other folks have other, I just wanna like take them item by item and see if we have a majority of the commission on the, on each one. Does that work for folks rather than trying to, uh, how, there's how many of us? Seven of us, eight, turn nine? Eight, okay, so we need five to agree to each of these and then we can make the motion match where we're at. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, how do we feel about the, I'm gonna do the addition that the bell cast eaves and miter that first bullet, generally, okay, uh, yeah, okay, no, it's fine. I just was, it was, um, and then uh, the the windows uh, on the, I guess they're on the addition on the second floor to match. It's tough for me because I get into bed right at a very low windowsill, and I know everybody can see me, um, so I, I sympathize. I really do. Um, I'm comfortable with the windows as they. I are. think I'm fine with it as well. Okay, so we have four. I don't like it, but I'll agree with you. <laughs> uh, okay, and then we have the discussion of the porch, rear porch, and what the f- floor. Floor. floor should be. Mm-hmm. I think I agree with Frank. It should be a uh, beadboard. Oh, yeah, vertical grain for Vertical grain, Two. Douglas fir, tongue and groove flooring is what we would. What's the, what are the dimensions of the back porch again? Is it, I'm just curious. Mm. Oh, I can look it up on the, in here for you. Not on that drawing though. It's about, it's eight feet deep, which is traditional and um, a narrower width than that, <laughs> than. Um, which in that, also would explain you should use VG4 on that because they come in 16 feet. foot and eight foot lengths. I mean, very little waste and there will be no seams. I mean, that's why they make them eight feet most of the time. It's a, a 11 feet uh, wide, eight feet deep. Okay, so I think there were f- four of us that, uh, I, is that right, four on the, do we have a fifth? Okay, I think, yep, yeah, okay. So we're changing this to, uh, we're just we're moving this essentially, or do we need Jessica the second bullet? Um, I think that we should specify. Yeah, I guess. Um, uh, yeah, I would say that you would word it. Uh, the porch floor would be vertical grain, tongue and groove, Douglas Lisper. The soffits. Also. You know, you could do comma and yep. the soffits. Yeah, and then we have the soffits. I don't know how folks feel about mm. I agree with Frank. I have three, three, four, five. Okay. And just say beadboard for that. If you don't, you'll get a panel of that. No, that's, yeah. uh, that we call that plywood beadboard. You can get, they, Nagels used to, now it's Alexander, does sell a pre-primed um beadboard it's just not douglas fir it's a it's a soft pine and it's but it's primed pre-primed but it's actually more expensive than mm. buying going to Kelowna lumber and buying their vg fir it's it's a harder better wood okay and then are there other material things we need to, so I, I i've got we've got we're we've got the first motion we're changing the second to the porch should have vertical grain douglas fir and then we should use beadboard on the soffits. And wood and trim, wood I, would, trim. I would say wood trim okay. too. And they had kind of resigned themselves to the fact that they uh, probably wouldn't be able to use ASIC for the trim anyway, but I okay. would go ahead and, and specify. And say cedar so you don't end up with soft pine. Yeah, I, do, 
I don't know that we necessarily. But the only the thing thickness. our guidelines clarify species of wood is in the porch floors. Um, yeah. But if it lasts longer. Right. We could recommend, just it, recommend that. Normally we don't recommend the wood species because if they want to use a cheaper material that doesn't last as long, that's kind of their yeah. right. But they do need to be careful because if, you know, just buy a regular pine board it's going to be three quarters of an inch thick one by material is not one it's three quarters i'll clarify with Maybe them about the match part of that dimensional i think lumber. they will care they will want to do it right okay great so jessica will follow up with some of this conversation and maybe just about the window base you know uh sill uh bed molding and drip cap yep i wrote those one down already okay so uh are we ready for a, a motion is someone ready i don't have anything to write with so somebody <laughs> else will have to do it i, I took some notes okay <laughs> okay thanks right uh, should i read this through and then correct me if i get something yeah i think we're just the first bullet and then the second bullet was something else okay so degras i move to approve a certificate of appropriateness for the project at 508 south summit street as presented in the staff report with the following conditions. The addition repeats the existing conditions of the bell cast eaves and mitered corners at the siding. Um, two, uh, we, that the applicant use vertical grain, tongue and groove Douglas fir for the porch flooring. Three, that beadboard is used for the soffit. Four, that the wood trim around the windows matches the thickness of the existing window trim and uses Douglas fir. I think we just say wood trim. W wood trim, excuse me. And that drip caps are used to match the existing windows on the exteriors. Do we need that much detail, Jessica? Are we, are we, it, it works. Okay, that's fine. Great. It's fine. That's perfect, thank you, Sarah. I just wanted to make sure. All right, do we have a second? Larson seconds. All right. All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? All right, guys. We got that done. Okay. On to item E, uh, the opt-in incentives for local landmarks. Uh, this is the memo that I wrote. Oh, I was. I thought you were. I'm like Jessica. I have. I don't have a presentation, so I don't know. <laughs> no, I. I was like, why is it getting darker? <laughs> I was. Um, I, I hope you guys had a chance to read the memo. I'm, I'm going to kind of provide the, what we normally do as a staff report, and then we'll open the public hearing, and then we can, can discuss. Um, you know, a few, a few years ago, uh, the, this commission, kind of before I got on it, started a process of investigating, you know, kind of the downtown historic district um, in terms of the National Historic Register and a bunch of other things. Um, we, uh, we just got the National Historic Register listing. It happened a little bit ago. Um, and, you know, in that, there was a bunch of recommendations. Um, the City Council kind of directed the commission at the time, I'd just kind of taken over as chair, um, to really kind of pursue all of those things, but to have a larger conversation with more people. Um, and so I worked with, with Nancy Bird and the downtown, Iowa City Downtown District for, for on and off, having on and off conversations for, I feel like, a very long time. Um, and we kind of put together a framework of some of those options, right? What we're trying to do here is get folks to um, uh, opt, give, giving people tools who wanna preserve their, their local landmarks, more tools to be able to do that preservation, um, that preservation work. Um, it was, uh, I think, you know, we have this in our work plan. I know uh, the downtown district talked to a lot of their property owners are very interested in some of those ideas to incentivize folks who have these stewards of these buildings to opt in. So um, anyway, we can uh, talk about the specifics more, but I just kind of wanted to provide a little context about where this came from. And uh, with that, I'll open the public hearing. And uh, Nancy, if you'd like to say anything, you're welcome to. You're not obviously obligated to. Do sign in if you do that. I will. Okay. Good evening, commissioners. I'm Nancy Bird with the Iowa City Downtown District. Let me sign in here really quick. Uh, and thank you for your um, for your time. I don't have anything really prepared, and we did um, submit in the materials our um, 
Iowa State Downtown District Advocacy Section that pertains to historic preservation. And we've been, um, as a board, we have had this um, advocacy statement um, for you know the past decade, and every year it gets a little bit longer. But what's helpful about it is that it covers a range of different topics and it provides us some um, flexibility and framework for when these topics arise and when the timing is right to act on certain things. And um, the survey that was conducted in 2017, if that's right, um, that has, you know, over the course of time, we know that that will slowly be implemented. And we're, you know, really thrilled with the new um, designation of Downtown Iowa City as a National Landmark District, where that's pretty phenomenal. So there are a number of recommendations in the survey, and we have, you know, our eye on what those recommendations are. We also understand um, the sentiment of property owners. Um, we've hosted a number of forums and talked to a lot of people about what they want for their buildings and the vision for those. Um, most owners you'll find really care about the, the preservation and, and steward the buildings to the best of their ability. Um, a lot of the components of what's really unique to downtown is some of these buildings are really tied together, especially the one probably the most historic block across from the Pentecrest. Those walls all touch. So it's very um, it's sort of problematic to do a lot of maintenance where you might want to because you're the owners are concerned about what's behind the wall. Um, and when you touch one thing, it just leads to another thing. So there has been deferred maintenance over time. Um, and it's really, I think everyone wants to see more investment in these buildings and to preserve the character of downtown Iowa City in general. So, um, you know, we've really been pleased to be working with um, Kevin and the commission and Jessica and staff to talk about ways that we can incentivize and support the preservation without um, regulating um, things that would take a lot of education really to, to move forward. And so I think that's kind of the, the, um, the opportunity to talk about how we opt in. And quite frankly, the city manager reminded me that actually there, some of these opt-in scenarios are, they exist today. They're just not formally celebrated or, or promoted. So the College Street development is a really good um, example of what that collaboration could look like um, for private partner um, uh, collaborations that result in preserved buildings in perpetuity, which is really great. So we'd like to see more of that, um, really uh, encouraging investment in these properties to, to um, preserve them over time, but getting the owners buy into them, getting some support for some of that. And really, a lot of this comes down to one of the biggest challenges that whenever you renovate a building, it can add to your, um, it adds to the value, which is great. But if you don't plan on selling it, the tax base can go up. And then they're like, oh, we just feel penalized for those investments. So the opt-in, you know, that we're suggesting, there's a number of different opportunities. But looking at potentially freezing the tax base on renovations downtown, is one, and I, that really made people kind of sit up because they care about that and they see those, um, they see the tax base and their tax payments increase, especially in the past five years, it's really gone up. Um, two years ago, it actually landed last year, 16% increase on taxes downtown Iowa City for commercial uses, so that's a big, it's a big jump. So um, that's, a, that's a big piece of it. And I think really just being deliberate about promoting preservation and developing commercial standards because there really aren't any and making it unique and authentic to what would work for downtown. So um, I don't have any other real comments, but I appreciate um, your reflection on these considerations and we hope that it helps support you know, collaborative movements forward instead of arguments site by site, if that makes sense. So. Uh, and I would entertain, if anybody has any other thoughts, I'm, I'm happy to answer anything. I'll just be sitting here listening to your discussion. So, thank you. Great. Um, yeah, happy to answer any questions about some of the stuff we, we, Nancy and I have been working on, trying to find a place where we can all agree, I think, is what we're trying to, to opt into. Uh, I will say one other thing, well, we worked very closely with, with the downtown district on this. It would not specifically apply to downtown to be any local landmark. So thinking about other commercial, it'd be, it's the way that it's kind of written in the framework is commercial buildings who are local landmarks. So it's the, our work is done by zoning anyway, so you could just pair those two things together. I have to admit, I didn't see this in the, in the minutes, so I haven't read it, so I have nothing to say. Oh, okay. I, I, oh, thank you, Carl. I was just going to add one thing. Um, speaking from like the perspective as, of a student at the university, it would be interesting if there was like an educational component um, when thinking about like 
incentivizing preservation in the commercial district. Um, I don't know what that would look like, obviously, but you know, from a student perspective, I think that'd be really neat. Like understand more of the history yeah, of the Yeah, like the to buildings. engage with the students, especially because yeah. I'm a planning student, so yeah. <laughs> it'd be interesting, yeah. One thing, uh, one thing that um, I guess in our historic neighborhoods we'll talk about when having work done is if you're if you're doing work where you're uh, removing old something old and just replacing it, um, if that includes uh, an increase in tax, that doesn't seem right because it's maintenance. Um, so even something that would be like an elevator, if it's just bringing the building up to speed where it should be, my view would be to not tax that because it's not like a luxury that's being introduced above and beyond what other buildings have. It's just bringing it to the level where it should be. Yeah, I'm curious what the rationalization for taxing those improvements in the first place is without knowing much about. Yeah, I think generally this when there's improvements, the city just increases the well, assessment. The building in value increases. Right, the value increases and, okay. then, and, and the taxes. Based and then I think value. what's happened in downtown, and Nancy, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the work they've done collectively downtown has made all of it more valuable, right? Yeah. And so, it, you know, that it, it increases the, the taxes for, for everyone. Um, and so part of what we're trying to do is find ways to say, hey, if you want to opt in to be a local landmark, there's a package of tools to help you preserve your building um, in exchange for that, for that landmark status. Again, if you're a commercial building, local landmark. And then some, um, you know, our, as you guys all know, our, our guidelines are very, really written towards residential properties. And we've had to, when we've had commercial properties kind of just defaulted to the Secretary of Interior, Interior Standards. So what we're trying to do is find some some clarity around what that means so that we can just act more more easily and kind of provide what 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 I heard from a lot of property owners downtown is that they want if they're going to choose to opt in they want some predictability about what that means <coughs> and the more that we can kind of lay it all out on the front end it's there and, and with a package of tools they, they can could see that some of them could see themselves choosing to to become local landmarks I think the other part of that whole thing down the road at least is that if we're giving financial incentives to business commercial properties landmark properties the residential owner of a, a residential property is going to say well what about me don't i get anything for improving or maintaining or conserving my uh financial re recognition or benefit in mm -hmm. some way too yeah i think the thing that i've thought about a lot when i think about the difference between the residential structures and then the commercial buildings is the commercial buildings have to change in some ways to be able to meet the needs of of the time residential properties are largely they were used as residences at one point and still are used that as residences obviously there's changes in some ways of how you make the house work for that person but i just these commercial buildings need accessibility the, the, yeah they just are there's a lot more needs well those are more adaptive reuses right but the burden is equal on both uh, commercial and residential properties in terms of um, just maintenance of, of the structure. Yeah, I, I, I would say that the maintenance of a commercial building is significantly more, uh, particularly when you think of the, the block that Nancy talked about where the, like the walls are right. all touching. I just think there's a difference um, in, in those in those things. Well, I'm I, just I, saying that's great. I mean, it's wonderful. You got to start somewhere, but somewhere down the road, we have to remember the private property owner too, who has a financial burden in maintaining a property, especially if it's in a contributing in an historic district. I agree with Cecile, and uh, I think it's a further discussion down the road. And for now, it would be getting council to sign on to this discussion mm -hmm. but yes constantly making that distinction between you know like in addition could be taxed as really increasing the footprint and doing something different but merely switching out siding on a wall or something like that that shouldn't be considered an improvement that increases taxation or a new roof it's just inserting new materials where there were Failing, uh, materials. failing materials so that shouldn't be taxed as an increase in value and, and that would um, then taking Cecile's line of thinking to the residential areas that would make historic preservation more affordable for yes. uh, more people yeah. I, I have a question just because of the fact that uh, the state and federal tax credit program 
there is a difference also between residential and, and commercial or income creating properties there. Um, residential is only available uh, to get the state tax credit. The commercial buildings get the state and the federal tax credit. And basically what the tax credits do is they provide a percentage back of costs to do a rehab that follows the Secretary of the Interior standards. One of the things that the state automatically does for properties that go for the federal tax credit too, so a commercial or income generating property, is they submit it also for a, um, a property tax abatement program. And this is different because of the fact that that program, it freezes the tax on the increased value so if your property goes from 1 million to 2 million in value, that extra, the tax you pay on that extra million is frozen for four years, and then it is um, incrementally added into your tax cost over the next three years. So for seven years, you don't pay the full tax on the increased value. And it seems to me that what you're talking about is, first of all, it's not requiring a tax credit project and it has more about a broad range of, of tax, right. property yeah. tax freezing, I would assume. Right, what, what we have here is, a, is I, I think I mentioned this in the memo too, but is, and it's worth saying again, this is kind of a framework and what we're asking for is the, to ask the council to direct city staff to put this into a proposal so that we can investigate those details and learn about the other things. Um, I think you guys all know we're, we, we don't always get our staff our, our, our individual requests met, so we're, we have to ask the council to kind of to, to do this, which is what the motion is essentially asking. Um, and I think we can explore additional ideas and have, I mean, the expertise of staff is what we want here, is just kind of taking this framework and seeing what this would look like in terms of actual policy so that we could really look at it and kind of debate it, and then and, and, um, the council could as well. I didn't make a motion. Oh, that's all right. For you. I've got a copy here if someone wants to read it. Okay. Uh, Seligren, I move to ask the City Council to direct staff to, uh, excuse me, to research the attached framework, explore other opt-in incentives that align with these proposals and goals, and turn them into policy proposals that appropriate City Commissions and City Council uh, could, re could later review. DeGraw, I second. Uh, all in favor? Aye. It should be noted that Carl Brown left the meeting before the vote. All right, great. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Nancy. Um, wait, who seconded that? I just forgot. Sherry Dubrow. I've now lost my agenda. Okay. <laughs> um, we're on to item F, report on certificates issued by chair and staff. Uh, no material effect. Um, the Clarks decided to re-roof all of their houses recently, um, and the first one was um, right here, and it was on last month's uh, staff report. It was without um, approval ahead of time, and so now all the others have approval ahead of time. <laughs> uh, this one, 320 East Jefferson. It is um, no material effect because it's asphalt architectural shingles, and it still is. Uh, this one at 328 Jefferson is also a certificate of no material effect because it's the appropriate roof and it's just being replaced. Um, not a Clark house, but um, owner-occupied house. They're replacing the roof. And in this case, it's one of the most unusual cases because we are allowing them to continue with the green roof. We think it's always been green. Um, oh. We had a minor review of uh, solar panel installation. And so here's the front of the house. It's on the weird little court that's off of Clark Street. So there's just two houses, I think, back here. Mm -hmm. Here's the roof diagram. So the um, panels will be on the south side and uh, also on the rear addition and the outbuilding. Um, intermediate review. Oh. Um, odd little basement windows one of them needed to be replaced they all happen to be a odd black vinyl material um, and we allowed the one to just be, match all the rest um, 
this one. They removed the AC unit and it didn't have a window. Um, oh, 1132 Burlington Street. This is a project that came before the commission a few years ago where um, it had a one-story addition on the back, which you see here. They were adding a screen porch with a um, shallow deck and then stairs. They are actually extending the screen porch for the entire extent of the deck, and then it'll just have a landing and stairs instead. They did not want the deck out in front of it anymore. Um, and that's it. All right, consideration of minutes from the July 21st meeting. Anyone have any changes? Uh, DeGraw, I move to approve the minutes from the July 21st meeting. And also, is it the August 12th? Well, meeting? I have an edit for the August 12th one, so okay. let's just do the 21st. Just so. do them one at a time. So this is approval for July 21st meeting, 2021. Wagner second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Uh, for the July, or I'm sorry, the August 12th meeting, um, I had the exact page, but I didn't oh boy. staple all my papers. <laughs> oh, here it is. Um, when I, uh, on the discussion of the Montgomery Butler House, mm -hmm. um, I also mentioned in there that the, um, there was an agreement with the Army Corps of Engineers, the state, uh, the SHPO, and the city to preserve the Montgomery Butler House in a three-way agreement on December 9th, 1997. Uh, Did you write that out at some, on something? Yes. Can I either have that or photograph it so that it's yep. easier for me to... Yep, I just, it was one of my notes for that I mentioned last okay. time and it didn't make it the minutes. So Great. I will send you that, I just will hand it to you when we're done. Excellent. We have a motion to approve the minutes as amended. Uh, Seligren, I move to approve the minutes from August 12th, 2021. As amended. As amended. Beck seconds. All in favor? Aye. 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 All right, the commission information. Um, this was exciting. Two things, one, read the email about um, the ex parte communication if you have any questions. If you've read it and have any questions at, at this moment, I could potentially answer them for you. Jessica, I, the one thing I asked, and I think I asked, mentioned this in an email to you and Aunt, or yeah, but it may have not, I was, I don't remember when I said it, mm -hmm. um, was I, there's a difference between a neighbor coming, you're, hey, you're on the commission, I've got this project, and then talking about the specifics of that project, like what, how do we get it approved, whatever, is different than, hey, I'm on, I, have a, I, I wanna do this project, what do I do? Which I feel like I get a lot of, right? You know, someone, like, someone knows that I'm, the chair and they'll, and I just always send them to Jessica and don't comment on the specific project, right? If they've like, hey, we're thinking about redoing our windows or siding or whatever, I'm always like, hey, you should talk to Jessica. Mm -hmm. that, that, as long as you, you can refer people to process and how things work, you just shouldn't talk about a, the, the details of a spe specific project. Yeah, Ann and I talked about this a little bit and I mean, I know this is a commission information section, so we're not really supposed to have a discussion, but I think this oh, is more right. of a clarification. So I, I, that's not a concern, but think of it this way. You are a group that are advocates for preservation. And of course you're gonna end up talking to your neighbors. They might also say, hey, does this need review? General questions like that are completely in within your purview. It's when they start getting into specifics, like what if I did my addition this way or use this material or whatever, all of those kinds of things that might come up during your formal review, those things are not something that you should discuss outside of this. It also means, for instance, that if you have something coming before you, you shouldn't uh, really talk to the public or the applicants about it either uh, until you come here. Right, so and that's part of the reason why I try to avoid our conversation until we've had the public hearing, right? That's why we, mm -hmm. it's the similar concept where we're not weighing in before we've gotten all the information essentially. Um, and obviously those things happen, it's not a big deal. It's like if it happens, you just need to Right. Disclose it. And yeah, and, and generally it's an easy thing. You just say, I talked to so-and-so about this, you know, period, maybe. It's when it starts to, uh, the, the issue with you having that conversation is more of a problem if it actually, you feel like you can't be impartial anymore. And that is when you would probably recuse yourself. 
Um, generally, when you recuse yourself, it's because it's your house or your friend's house or your pal's house or you're the contractor for the project or something like that. So you have a stake in it. You don't feel you can be impartial. You know, you're not going to say no to your sister or whatever, you know. And at that time, you recuse yourself um, really immediately before the staff report and you remove yourself from the room is the best suggestion. We don't police that, that's the suggestion. You can step into the antechamber, you could step out, um, any of those things. If it is your own project, we suggest someone else represents it. You know, a spouse, partner, friend, your contractor, something like that. And so that's more about what it's about. I have a question, a uh, clarifying question. Can mm -hmm. I ask? Yeah. Um, so what happens when somebody who's seeking in, uh, to influence a commissioner reaches out directly? Um, for then when it comes up as a discussion, you would just, you just state oh, that in the okay. beginning. In Great. fact, um, it is suggested that you write out the outset before the staff report. You just say, hey, I've talked to so-and-so about this. And, you know, if there were some specifics that you want to disclose, that's up to you. Okay, so w is it the recommendation that we just do not participate in those conversations or is it totally fine as long as we disclose? The recommendation, if it's something that's gonna come before us <laughs> and you have to act as a judicial body, it's to not have those conversations. Okay. Wait, but if a, they have, just disclose it. But as an advocacy group, can we talk to a council uh, person about an issue? Yeah, it's about it's about things that are coming before us. So particularly when it's related to the certificate of appropriateness, because we are really on the stuff that moves to the council. They're the deciders, right? Like on this particular item, they're going to on any policy. They're going to be the ultimate deciders. But when it comes to the certificate of appropriateness, we are really the final. There's no, the only appeal is to the council and they can only they can only narrowly overturn us. So we need to be extra careful about the certificate of appropriateness section because we're really the final the final say on that it's because but, you're but we're not obviously we've just we've just lived through that no we, we were i mean we like the council agreed with our assessment they just additionally asked us to and we have to stop discussing this okay. now but i do want to say that thank you yeah it is basically that um if you're getting into specifics about something that is going to come before you don't talk about it ahead of time I'm really confused about that because we can't talk about it. I mean, after it has come before us, can we talk about it then? I would assume so. Yeah, why don't we, it might be good to have mm -hmm. like one of the um, city, I, I'm just, I feel like we're getting into conversation. But we, yeah, uh, we should, we can have further clarification about that. I think we should just ask the city, uh, one of the city attorney staff who's offered it before to come in and just do a, a broad training on like mm. motions and appropriateness and stuff. I think just at some point that would be mm -hmm. helpful. And then we can have a discussion and we can ask specifics, Cecile, so that we're not, we're in an, you know, so that yeah. we can get the, it, and we're not trying to, scenario. we're not trained to, I mean, I'm not, certainly not trained. To yeah, no, I'm not a legal representative uh, either. So let's, can we just put that on the agenda for a future meeting when it works oh. for the city attorney's office and maybe when we have a little lighter agenda? Yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, okay, and then the historic preservation survey. So we're, this is an informa information, so it's one-way communication, Jessica? Yeah, and this is the kind of thing that if the commission wants to have a discussion about the a survey, then we can put it on an agenda. Oh, an agenda, not just the discussion? I, well, either way. We can put it in the, uh, on okay. the agenda as a discussion item. Okay. Yeah. If we want to talk about this survey, we should just put it next week next one if you want to call for that that's fine is this a new survey or what i, I was missing the last meeting I oh sorry there's a survey that the city staff did the city neighborhood planning and services did a survey that we did not ask for um nor did we approve um and uh they did it and the results are in the packet um we can't talk about it so if we want to talk about it we should put it on I think we should just put it on the next month agenda and then we can decide we don't want to talk about it. Yep. Were the results in this packet? Yeah. It's in this packet, yeah. In this packet? <laughs> um, okay, so let's just put it on the discussion for yep. next month or a future meeting. Yeah, I'll put, I can do that one on the next one. And then um, with, of course, the if, 
if we want to have the city attorney involved or something, then that might take a little extra. It might also be that they could just like write a little memo. Well, so I, I, the only reason I, I suggested a city attorney is because I called the city attorney about an issue once, and she, the Sue Dulick, suggested that she does it often. Oh, okay, great. And, and just said, just as the chair said, sometime you should, we should just do this. And I, we were had, we're getting ready to have a bunch of turnover on the commission at the time. So it didn't make sense. I mean, it was like, we're gonna lose half these people, so let's just do it with the new yeah. folks. So Sue, you should just check with Sue. I'll you can tell her, her I- to get it scheduled in a, some, yeah. a meeting sometime yeah, yeah. soon. That's the only reason I specifically said it, because Sue said that she generally, she's done it with planning and zoning and some of the other commissions that are, I think, Board of Adjustment, some of the ones that are semi-judicial as well, so. Yeah, okay, great. All right. Oh, I mean, I could mention that, yeah. It is time to pick up our signs from our Historic Preservation Awards. Uh, anybody feel like doing any of that? I mean, just get them if you just give send me the address. Okay. Um, we're um, giving the sign to the uh, uh, property owners on Wales. They, they oh. would like to keep it, and Nathan we support and June that. Nathan and Juno want to keep theirs for sure. Huh? Okay. Nathan and Juno want to keep theirs for sure. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that. Yes. Okay. They're gonna leave it up all year. Okay. You're kidding. Let's let's. Are we are we ready to adjourn? Yes. Okay. Do we have a motion to adjourn? I move that we adjourn the meeting. Wagner, second. All in favor? Aye. Aye.